It's Radio Free 501C, the voice of Rogue Tulips Consulting. I'm Cecilia Sapp. Don't forget to subscribe. We're on all your favorite podcast services. This week, I'm joined by first-time guest, longtime friend and colleague, John Lingerfeld, and we're talking about membership. It's everyone's job. Welcome to episode 211. Hey, everybody. It's Monday, September 25th, and that means it's time for another episode of Radio Free 501C, the voice of Rogue Tulips Consulting. I'm your host, Cecilia Sutt. I'm the principal and founder of Rogue Tulips Consulting, and I'm a CAE and a CNP. Welcome to this week's episode. To our global audience, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you happen to be, and thanks for joining us this week. We have first-time guest, longtime friend and colleague, John Lingerfelt here today. He is a membership expert, and we are going to be talking about how membership is everybody's job. This is going to be of special interest to membership associations. John, welcome to the show, and please say hello to our audience and tell us a little about yourself. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, yeah, so I'm John Lingerfeld, a certified association executive uh, that I was able to go through Cecilia's study group for, but I'm a little over 12 years into the association world and mainly focused on membership, networking, engagement, um, component relations, and will soon be getting a new role as an executive director and overseeing an entire organization. So I'm really excited about being on here and recording my first podcast, uh, but I just appreciate the opportunity to talk to you all today. Oh, well, you are welcome. And I'm so glad you could join us today. And thanks for the shout out about the study group. That's always appreciated uh, because I, you know how important CAE is to me for promoting our profession. So just, uh, I love that. Okay. Now let's talk about membership though, because I have been a membership director. I've been a chapter relations director. I've done a lot of membership relations and volunteer relations. So I know how important it is. So John, can you get our conversation going here? What are some of your views about membership as everyone's job? I mean, membership in our association world is just, it's such a key focus for, I mean, how many organizations make up 80% of their revenues just for membership. And if, if it's not being driven from like the CEO down as everybody in the organization is part of the membership team, because that one person that has that negative interaction with a potential member, especially if it's a trade organization where that potential member may be a very large uh, portion of your revenue dues, you easily could have a non-renewal or someone who doesn't join because they had one inter- one negative interaction. And on the flip side, like that one person who could be a customer service person, could be an education, could be marketing, it could be your social media person, it wherever it might be they also might be that person that makes that individual join because they had such a great experience. So if it's not, everybody in the organization has to be part of the membership team, even if their title is a different department. You know, I am so glad you said that because I've always believed in that too. And what happens, I think, in a lot of organizations as we become siloed, well, I do communications, I do IT, I do meeting planning. But if we are doing those things, it's for the members. And that, so we all have to be on the membership team and, and we all have to own the question or own the problem. Uh, so I remember last week on one of the coffee chats that Nicola Rujo hosts, we were talking about conferences and how everybody has to own the situation if a member needs help with something. And I think promoting that in an organization is great. So 
What are your views about like the board of directors getting involved in the membership team? Obviously, you want the board not to be as operational as they would like to be, but they, <laughs> I mean, especially at the annual meetings or, or or at board meetings or whatever it might be, they are an extension of staff for the, for the most part. They are looked at as that liaison through to the staff, I mean, to your chief staff executive, and they have to have that same mentality of like when they're thinking about the strategic initiatives of the organization and working with the staff to implement those things, how does that impact the member experience in a whole? Is it, are they just looking at strategic initiatives that impact a very small segment of the, of the membership, or maybe it's not even a part of the membership that they're impacting, but you know, it's, they have to understand, have that same mentality that like they are part of the membership team, even though they are member volunteers. And, you know, I love that. So what kind of information or training might you recommend for volunteer leaders so that they understand that? That's a really good question. I actually have not had the opportunity, like the time to really think through that one. Um, you know, I, I do find it helpful when you have a membership committee and that committee definitely needs to have a board liaison if it's not, depending on how your governance structure is set up. But like sometimes you, the chair is the uh, board liaison. Sometimes a board liaison is appointed to the committee. You know, have having that person interact with the membership committee so that they can see the reports, they can understand the trends in the, the membership. But, um, you know, where are gaps? Where are those things? And then I think some of the bigger impacts that the board as a part of the membership team can have is that interaction with the member is, is there an opportunity for, you know, I, if, if you have hundreds of thousands of members, like I can't, you can't do this, but like, if you're a trade organization, like and a new member comes on board, does that board member call that new member? Does, do they ask them why they join the membership director? We probably have some sort of onboarding campaign on onboarding survey, but like, did they get a call from, that board member or the membership development chair or whatever it might be saying, welcome to the organization. Hey, what can we help you with? Why are you here? You know, I, I love that suggestion because that really has a big impact on new members. And it also helps with recruiting a member or retaining a member. But when somebody's new, they really don't know anyone yet, or maybe they don't know how things work, or they don't know who to ask questions. So having that kind of member buddy system at any level is really helpful. You know, it's very helpful with chapter relations, like you have mm -hmm. an experienced chapter leader, talk to a new chapter leader. But that's really the thing. And I think talking points are always helpful. I used to give volunteer leaders that kind of information, like, well, here are some just nice points you might want to make if somebody asks you a question, or you can always tell them to ask a staff person if you don't know the answer. But just say it warmth and welcome, because uh, as you and I were prepping for this episode, we were talking about the importance of the experience and how membership is not the database. So what are some of those things you think are important in creating that good, valuable member experience? I would say, I mean, from the time that they complete the membership application, hopefully that process is already seamless enough to where there's not a whole bunch of hoops they have to jump through, depending on bylaws. I mean, you might have to have board approval for corporate members. I mean, so there could be other you know instances, but like once they are approved as a member, what does that first communication look like? 
Is it a data dump of, well, here's the login, here's your password, here's the login to your online communities, here's the links to education, here's the links to your LMS, here's the links to this, that, and everything to where they're not going to actually retain any of that information or do you send them this, do you mail them a big packet of like, oh, here's here's the different flyers, the different different things. Yeah, I think that's a little outdated because, you know, a lot of us are <laughs> no longer in offices or, you know, even our members are not even in the offices sometimes in, anymore. Right. So I think that's a little outdated. I've had really good success with um, new member drip campaigns um, where you send them one email a week over eight, nine, 10 weeks. And that way they're not, it's a, it's not a data dump form. It's an introduction to the different areas of the organization. But my first two emails in any, in any of those campaigns, the first one's always from either the membership chair or the board chair. Mm -hmm. um, and then my second one is an introduction to, depending on the size of the staff, key players in, in the organization, like whether it's the director of membership, um, the, the director of education. Um, and so, you know, different people within the organization and giving them that contact information just personalizes that experience for the member. So like you, they see this, they have little pictures of the people who are in those different roles. And I try to make sure it's not the C-suite um, because a lot of times what we can get accomplished at, you know, the director levels, the manager levels, we know how to work things for a member faster than if it were to go to a C-suite person, then come back down. Right. No, you know, and that's being thoughtful about the member's time as well, not just the C-suite uh, members or C-suite leaders, I should say, mm -hmm. time and your time. Why add extra steps? That creates a more valuable member experience. So now I'm going to ask you about something I think about a lot. You may not have thought about it too much uh, because... I think about a lot of things most people don't, <laughs> but you and I are both CAEs and we're both professional nonprofit managers, because if we keep in mind, all 501c organizations are nonprofits, that's what kind of 501c we are that makes a difference in how we might do things and who our stakeholders are. But when you're looking at membership as everyone's job, everyone's on the membership team, have you seen in your own experience that there is sometimes a disconnect between people who come into the organization because maybe they're a magazine writer or they do CPT coding and they're not really a nonprofit management professional. So they say, no, this is just my thing that I do. Uh, Cause I actually have worked with people like this or brought in because of a special expertise they have or skill that they have. And then they come in and they have like a really like completely different attitude about member service and pitching in at conference and understanding how everything connects to each other. So have you seen that as well? Like, have you noticed that in your experience? I, I have seen specialized people, medical editor, you know, publisher, uh, uh, journal publications. Um, those are very specialized areas. And a lot of those people don't have association management backgrounds. Um, you know, I think onboarding those individuals from the beginning, the CEO, the executive director, chief staff executive, whatever, whatever the title might be, and that department or division head has to drive the, we are all part of the membership team. And mm -hmm. if you don't know what that means, let's sit down and, and chat because 
uh, someone who writes code, they had they had they have a very tech technically uh, minded you know tech minded person. They yeah, they're focused on what that is. Yeah, they see the problem and they can fix the problem. But then they do they look at it from the member side like what does that fix look like for the member do we just make the member experience harder because now they have to go through an additional step Mm -hmm. um and not saying that's not a bad thing because maybe it's a security step that we had to implement because of you know something but what i think that's where you start getting them involved in how they how it impacts the member Mm -hmm. and then i think over time as long as you keep bringing those people into the conversations, they will start to get, wrap their head around, I am part of the membership team, actually. Yes, and I, I think you framed that very well, because we have to understand that certain people are added to the team because they have that specialty or that expertise. And so it's up to the rest of us to make sure they understand how that fits into everything else in that conversation and if you're not doing it in a thoughtful way and an organized way with the onboarding, it can make it a little more difficult and unfortunately can create some negative tension on the staff. And so I think having that implemented in a, in a well thought out way as part of the regular onboarding, uh, making sure that they not only understand, well, you're at a nonprofit organization, it's a little bit different but also making sure they have access to information about nonprofit management and maybe, you know, get, get them some webinars or sign them up for some courses. There's a lot of good courses in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know we, we can always start at ASAE and then branch out to like a lot of the state societies have good courses and the regional societies and, you know, some of the for-profit companies have good education as well on nonprofit management if you want to build out like a really broad understanding for people. But I think we can't just throw people in to the nonprofit environment and then not explain it to them. And I think you brought up a very good point about professional development and the education and like whether it's webinars or going to ASAE events or, you know, association forum or whatever it might be. Like there's plenty of education out there. Like I know when I go to a lot of those conferences over the past few years, I tend to not go to the sessions that are focused on my area mm-hmm. um, because I want to broaden my experience and knowledge within that, within the association world. So like I've gone to finance and I've gone to, you know, first time ED type of uh, sessions and I've gone to education and professional development because all that impacts members membership at the end of the day. And I want to be as good of a association professional as I can be. And if I don't broaden my experience and knowledge and where, you know, what I know and they can bring to the table, I'm not doing the best job I can for my members. That's, you know, excellent point. I'm so glad you said that, John, because we all need to keep developing ourselves and building out our knowledge and pushing ourselves into an area we don't know anything about and maybe make ourselves a little uncomfortable Uh, I know finance makes me a little uncomfortable because I'm not a chief financial officer or a CPA. I can do a budget, but don't start asking me those hard technical questions because I will say, call the accountant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh, I do try to learn what I can about it. So now you mentioned uh, when you introduced yourself that you're moving into an executive director role. So you have a strong membership experience base, you're very committed to a strong membership experience. So 
How do you think that is going to uh, support you as you are an executive director in leading a new team and leading a new organization and trying to create that experience? I hope. <laughs> I, I can't say I will, but I mean, it will, but I, I hope um, that, you know, my experience from the membership standpoint uh, over the last 12 years and implementing different programs at different organizations and things will help me have those conversations with the board members that I will be working with and helping them see it from a different point of view. Um, you know, as, as in the, the chief staff executive, whether it's at an AMC or, you know, a standalone organization or whatever it might be, it shouldn't be the board against you. Like it's that partnership we have to build. And, you know, at the end of the day, it should be the board's idea, um, whether or not you came up with it, but like we, you know, being that partner and being that person they can go to and they have questions. I mean, board members are not expected to know how to run a membership organization. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless they're board members of a state society of association executives or ASAE, they may come from the association world, but like we're doctors and lawyers and not nonprofit, you know, professionals. And right. I want to be that resource for them. Just like I need them to be my resource when I have questions about the field that I'm representing. And, and that, that is, uh, I applaud that statement. And I, I think all boards and executive directors or chief staff executives should embrace that partnership. You said it very well, because in that, in that partnership, you are a resource for each other of how to do things to offer guidance, advice, and yes, let the board think it's their idea, even if you suggested it. That's great. Because they're probably putting their own spin on it anyway. I love that. That's really good. And I think that bringing, I think people, this is my opinion. Okay, folks, my opinion, you might not read it in a book. You've probably seen it on my blog. But my opinion <laughs> is people with membership experience or chapter relations experience tend to be stronger executive directors or chief staff executives. Because in those roles, not only are we, learning how to build strong relationships, but we're learning about the entire organization because we need to know how everything fits together and works together. And then we're also working on some of those, what we might call soft skills, like diplomacy, tact, active listening, negotiation, some of those things. We learn how to do that. You know, that sort of, well, I can't do this, but I can do that. Is that acceptable sort of thing? And so I think that tends to make us better executive directors. And hopefully we're in a situation where we're working with a strong board that sees us as a partner and not necessarily an employee. Yes, technically there is a contract and all that good stuff, but let's, you know, that's really what we want to work toward. And I think having that strong membership background helps make a difference with that. So we also had a little bit of a conversation as we were prepping about what membership is not. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Uh, what are some of the things, in your opinion, that membership is not? Well, I, I, I maybe reframe that, that question of like, what membership is. Like membership is a part of marketing or marketing is a part of membership. Membership is not marketing. Membership is not the database, but the database is a part of membership. It's like the LMS is a part of membership, even though it's usually under an education and marketing is a part of membership. You know, a lot of organizations have gone to the shift of putting membership 
in underneath and you know underneath Marcom and being a segment of the marketing and communications department. And yes, there is a lot of things that the marketing team does to promote membership and events and education, but there's just a lot of interactions with members that don't fall under marketing. And, you know, I, I always find that a challenge when you see, when we see an organization that has mar- membership under marketing, my current organization, uh, we're in the division of communications and membership and marketing is a third tier in that division. And it's, I'm not underneath marketing. We are a partnership in this organization with membership and marketing under the same division. And it's, I, I think it's a very well set up division, um, and I've I've seen benefits of having that partnership. But when you start putting membership under marketing and expecting it to act like a piece of marketing, I think you run into uh, run into issues with member experience. You know, and I think that's a good point. And uh, thank you for flipping that and making it a more positive statement <laughs> than a negative one. Because I've come across that myself as well in my career where people think, well, membership is just marketing things to them or, you know, sending out information to them. It's not building a relationship. It's not creating an experience or it's the database. And I think one of the things that came out of the pandemic lockdown, which I think was a terrible mistake, and I will stand on this statement, people were wiping out the membership department in a panic to save money because we don't know how long this lockdown is going to last. It's just the database. And then you're handing the membership relationship management over to the IT department. Not that IT people are not wonderful people. They can build relationships, but do they really know what the member is expecting from that relationship? You know, they know how to manage the data, but are they really, really ready to manage that member experience? So it isn't the tools and that's what I'm taking away from your comments. Correct me if I'm wrong, but membership isn't the tools we use to create that experience. Membership is the experience. And we, I mean, how many times in this do we talk about, oh, we're getting the right people and the right seats on the bus? How often do we talk about what is the bus? The member <laughs> experience is the bus. Right. And, you know, you have the chief staff executive sitting up there in the driver's seat and managing the people and who, what seats they're in, mm-hmm. but the board is out there pushing the bus because they like, that's the member experience and how the, how the board drives the strategic direction of the organization really tells us where this bus is going to go. And then internally we're putting people in the right seats, hopefully. Um, and, you know, but I don't think we ever talk about what is the bus. You know, that's a really good point because everybody's always about getting on the bus, but where the heck is the bus going? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do we know where the bus is going? And is the bus actually a bus? I mean, you're right. Uh, although I got to say, I got to kind of chuckle about an image of a board of directors pushing the bus because I bet they're thinking they're going to be riding inside the bus, <laughs> and, you know, but I, but that's, but that's really the thing. I mean, that bus analogy is great, but I think the most important part of that is where is it going? And do we all know where it's going? Or do we all think we're going to Vegas? Or do some of us think we're going to LA, right? It's like, which which way are we going? Where are we going to end up? You know, some of, and, and that's really what uh, is wonderfully challenging about working with members is they have different expectations and trying to figure out what those are and 
how can we get everybody understanding this is where we're going and hopefully that's where you want to go to. I mean, and that's a great point about where we're going and, you know, I've been through some different presentations on the difference between strategic direction and foresight, like strategic direction is okay. Where are we going in the next two to three years? Foresight's where are we going in the next 30? And yeah, I mean, obviously we can't plan for every scenario, but like, what do we want this organization to look like 10 years from now? And then let's work backwards from that. So, you know, I, I think helping the board understand that, okay, every, every organization, the board chair always has some sort of project initiative that they want to look back on their board year and be like, this is what I was able to accomplish, but being that partner with them to help them understand, like, this is, this is a good project, but what does this project look like five years from now? What is What do you want this impact to actually be and really be strategic and look at the foresight of what the end goal of this entire project would you want to be? Right. And how is it fitting into mission fulfillment and fulfilling strategic goals? Because a lot of times you'll see a new leader come in and they'll say, this year, I think we ought to do a book. And then the next year, I think we ought to do a new event. And then the next... But it's like, how is that moving the organization forward? And and people talk about their legacy. I think the best legacy for any leader is that you have supported the plan and the mission and moved that organization closer to that goal. And it's not about your getting that specific individual recognition, although you highly deserve it for stepping into that leadership role. But it's not about that one thing you did. It's about the impact you had moving things forward. Uh, that's a great point. I mean, it like I th- that was a great way to word that of just like the CEO or the chief staff executive, they might get the recognition for things going well, but they should be recognizing all of the people underneath them that made that possible. I mean, they delegation is amazing and autonomy to get the things done and feel like there's a part of the ownership. The board chair has that same responsibility for the rest of the board members and volunteers. I mean, whether it's committee members, like, you know, is there micromanagement in the board? Like, does the board chair and the exec committee feel like they have to make the final decisions and all this? Or do they let the people who have volunteered in the committees and the work with the committee liaisons on the staff to go do what they were meant to do or a volunteer to do? You know, I'm fascinated by that point, John, micromanagement on the board. Uh, that's not quite membership specific, but, you, you know, that's really interesting because you're right. Sometimes board leaders micromanage everybody else and maybe the executive committee does everything and doesn't let the rest of the board participate. So um, I don't, you know, that's interesting to think about. It sounds like you've thought about it. Uh, have you come to any conclusions or? I mean, a former organization, it had a 13-person board, and there was, on the nine or so committees that the organization had, only board members. So, first of all, we weren't building a pipeline of new board members, like, because the board members were the only ones volunteering, but, like, you know, I it felt very micromanaged by the board because the board was sitting on the membership development committee and was sitting on the education committee and was sitting on this committee. And then 
there wasn't it wasn't like there was additional volunteers on those committees. It was only made up of three or four board members. And so um, I think too often the board members think that they are a representation of the actual membership. But from a member from a member standpoint, the board is often nowhere near the representation of your typical member. Um, and helping them understand that too yeah. is key. You know, the, okay, that's a really good point because you do have to build that pipeline of future leaders and, and that goes into foresight as well. Uh, you know, I'm from Missouri. We just call that looking ahead and trying to figure out, but you know, we're calling it foresight now, but that foresight of who's going to be on the board in three years. And that relates to our specific conversation about membership as everybody's job. It's like, who will our members be in three years? Because who your member is right now is not who they're going to be in three years. And what I mean by that is like, they could be early career now, but in three years, they're a professional member. They're established, they have experience now. And eventually that member is going to be a retired member. And hopefully your student members are converting as they get work <laughs> and, and they're, and so they're not the same person three years later. So they're not the same member. And then where are they going to be? And that's not just geographically, but where in their career arc will they be? So we, we really do have to keep looking ahead on all those things and how that relates, not just to the membership experience, but to the future of the organization through the leadership funnel. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen it done very done well at a couple at a couple places you know opening up a board seat for a young young professional early emerging professional early career whatever you know whatever title you want to call that position you know is a great way to help them get involved in the organization but it's also a great way for the board to understand what that next generation of member is going to need I do think sometimes we run into the issue where we put that person on a committee or the young professional on a committee or even a board seat, but then they are looked at as you don't know anything because you're a young, you're, you're a young person. Um, and I think, you know, we talk about it in the mentorship, you know, in industry, like, you know, aspect of people 35 and older should have a mentor that is younger than them, mm -hmm. you know, and the board needs to have that same type of mentorship from someone that's younger than them as well. Right. You know, and that's interesting because being somebody who is uh, definitely past 35, uh, <laughs> at least once, um, but I, I'm sorry, it just reminds me of a funny thing at MMC earlier this year, the ASAE conference, we were going into an event and we thought they went to see our badge and they said, no, I need to see your ID to make sure you're 21. And I said, well, I've been 21 a couple times. So how many times do you want to see the ID? I, the whole thing about ageism is so funny um, because ageism is also toward younger people. And I think I try to just look at people as where they are, who they are now. Uh, and we can all learn from each other at different phases. And I love that you said that about older people should have a younger mentor because that's really the beauty and the true value of a mentoring relationship is the two people are mentoring each other. So even if you're a younger person with an older mentor, that mentor is not just giving you information and feedback, you're giving them information and feedback. So that's another great member benefit add 
that people can have. Uh, so no, I, to I totally agree with that. I love that. Although one of my favorite sayings is age and experience will always overcome youth and enthusiasm. <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> um, and if you've ever seen the Bruce Willis film, The Last Boy Scout, you'll know what I mean <laughs> about that. But I, I, I'll have to write that one down. I have not seen oh, that. You have not seen The Last Boy Scout. Oh my gosh, totally worth it. Very funny. Uh, one of the best, it's actually one of his better action movies, uh, action comedy movies. Also has Damon Wayans in it. If you like Damon Wayans too, it's, it's pretty funny. Moves at a very fast pace too. But, uh, you know, don't get me talking about action films because I will go on for another hour. So, but no, that's a good one where age and experience do actually help the younger, less experienced uh, person in the story. So this is great. I mean, this has been a wonderful conversation and I, I think we definitely need to have you back once you get settled in, uh, in the new position. Congratulations on that. And uh, talk some more about working with boards. I'm really intrigued by the concept of board micromanagement and how we can help boards be a team. I love that. So I uh, would love to have you back if you're interested. I, I'm, I appreciate the opportunity to be on this podcast and um, although I was quite uh, scared about being recorded for, um, for, you know, doing this, I have really enjoyed it. And I would love to be back, um, especially once I get my feet in, into this new role and figure out if anything I said actually made sense to the board. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been a wonderful guest, John. It's been great. You've been very thoughtful and made some excellent points. And just the time has flown by. Uh, but we do need to wrap up the episode for now. But I like to ask my guest, uh, what's the one thought you would like the audience to take away today? And if they wanted to get in touch with you to talk more, what's the best way to follow up with you? You know, I, I mean, I would just go back to what the title of, of this podcast was, is everybody is part of that membership team. Like, everybody has an impact on the member experience. And if we always go into that mindset in the organization with that in mind, like our members will find value in the organization. And if you want to get in contact with me, um, feel free to look me up on LinkedIn. Um, I'd be happy to uh, connect or have conversations with anybody. That's great. Well, thank you so much, John. You have been a wonderful guest. Have a great day. Thank you. Now I have to do my quick wrap up though. So don't sign off yet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we do have to go rogue for now, but we'll be back next week with another exciting episode. So don't forget to subscribe or on your favorite podcast service. If you'd like to learn more about Rogue Tulips Consulting and how we can help you bloom outside the box, check out our website services page at roguetulips.com. If you are a nonprofit management professional looking for some education, Check out our education program, the 501C League. It is so big, it has its own website, the501cleague.net. Always happy to chat with you about any questions, if you have any regarding what we can do to work with you, or if you have questions about getting ready for the CAE exam. So that's it for this week. On behalf of John and myself, we'll see you next time.